Welcome to the Entourage Podcast. My name is Paige Scott, and I'm going to be your host. Entourage Ministries gets its inspiration from Psalm 6811 that says, The Lord gives the command, and a great army of women proclaim the good news. Entourage is a multi-generational, multi-denominational, multicultural women's ministry based in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us today as we dive into truth from the Word so that your heart and spirit may be encouraged. I'm so blessed to be here tonight. I look forward to this night every month. I'm not always here every month, but I look forward to it. You know, as women, we tend to take rabbit trails, so that's why I have my notes. I have 12 minutes, so that's what I'm going to do. Um, it has been a while since I've shared my testimony. Some of you have heard bits and pieces of it. And, um, but there's, there's a lot to this, to this person here. Um, all of us do have a testimony, you know. God gave us a testimony. You know, it doesn't matter how long you've been walking with the Lord. If it's been 50 years or five minutes, you have a testimony, and that needs to get out. So I encourage you to, you know, just think about, pray about, and remember what he did for you. You know, some of the basic details of my life, I'm a pastor's wife, I'm a mom, I'm a grandma. I'm not from Oklahoma. <laughs> I've lived in several places. My birth certificate says I am a U.S. citizen born abroad. And so I was raised on the East Coast. I moved to the West Coast, and now I'm in the middle. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, like many of you, I was raised in a religious home. You know, I knew about God. I attended church every Sunday. I went to a re religious school doing the religious things, yet I felt lost. I was lonely and I was guilt-ridden. I knew of God, yet I didn't really know him. But he knew me. As a little girl, there was a lot of trauma and abuse in my family. Family friends and relatives abused me. Young children shouldn't have to go through that. But unfortunately, many do. We hear about it more and more daily. I, I always felt alone and scared and had no one to talk to about my fears. I didn't talk at all, really. You know, in the, in the world, they made label me as having social emotional trauma but I don't claim that. My parents divorced when I was 12. The sexual abuse continued. Many circumstances and bad decisions led to me using alcohol and drugs at an early age. I was just smoking pot. It was even lonelier, and I was more guilt-ridden with no hope. I tr tried filling the void with unhealthy relationships. At 13, I was sent to live with my grandmother in, actually in another country for a fresh start, to uh, you know, start all over again, to get away from the bad influences, but it only got worse. I returned to the States at 15, and I got a job so I could save money to buy a trip to California to be with my cousins. That was the wrong idea, but God, God knew. Again, filling my life with bad choices, unhealthy situations, wanting love, but getting more pain and rejections looking for love in all the wrong places. I was 19 and eight and a half months pregnant when I married for the first time. 
We had another child after six years. Again, there was abuse, loneliness, drugs. You know, I remember I just wanted a normal life. You know, I wanted to be a good wife. I wanted to be a good mom. You know, I, I went to church. I even sent my daughter to a Christian school, hoping that things would change, but nothing did. I met another man along the way, and he was a kind man, but had a real problem with drugs. But I thought, well, I can help him. I'll fix him. I'll change him. Wrong. <laughs> My deep desire to feel wanted, accepted, and loved actually took me down a long spiral. I lost my children. I lost my home. I ended up living in situations like condemned homes, or houses, it wasn't a home, condemned house, storage units, and sometimes a vehicle. I experienced a lot of danger and many near-death experiences. As I said, notice my story kind of spirals downward. Drugs, bad people, bad situations were everywhere in my life. I had lost everything, everything I cared for, my family, my children. My family was ashamed of me. They feared me, and they feared for me. You know, I said earlier that I just smoked pot. I used that to cope with the trauma in my life. But I did not understand at that time about the physical and spiritual doors that I would open making that choice. Nor did I plan on 20 years later of drug abuse that I would end up homeless and a meth addict. I lost, again, control of everything. I lost my kids, my home, my mind. I was done my life as I knew it was over. You know, there'd been times, you know, especially in the really scary times, that I would, I would remember what I had learned in church, what I had known that there was a God, but because I was so guilt and shame-based, I couldn't understand or accept how a God could love me. But I prayed. I prayed for my kids. I prayed that God would protect them and my family. I knew I was in a bad way, but I didn't care about myself. I only cared about them. And that's why I had to give them up, because I couldn't take them down that road that I was on. Again, I was at the end of it all, Broken, hopeless, angry, hurt, ashamed, without a future, nothing to live for, and I was ready to end it all. And I almost did. As I said earlier, I knew of God. I did the religious things in my life, but I didn't really know him. You know, and it's, it's so interesting how tonight the words of each song kind of go hand in hand with this story. Because as I go on, it didn't stop there. 
In Jeremiah 1.5, in the message translation states, Before I shaped you in the womb, I knew all about you. Before you saw the light of day, I had holy plans for you. A prophet to the nations. That's what I had in mind for you. He didn't have in his mind for me to be broken. He didn't have a plan for me to die because I was ready to take my own life. But thank you, Jesus, I didn't because I knew that there was no coming back if I did that. But thank you, Jesus, he saved me. God knew me. Through different circumstances, I was introduced to Jesus. From the moment I prayed that prayer, and I asked Jesus into my heart, making him my Lord and my Savior, my broken, shattered life changed. A complete change. Kind of like that caterpillar, you know, that's in the dark cocoon, and then breaks out, and it's this beautiful butterfly. 2 Corinthians 5.17, and many of you know, to, know this verse. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. I was totally new. Everything changed for me April 24th, 1993. My birthday is April 23rd. So I literally died to myself the day after my 30th birthday. And I was born again. Psalms 103.12 says, As far as the east, get the directions here, east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He loved me. This person that was unlovable. Now I needed to forgive myself. And that's a whole another story. <laughs> We won't go there tonight. We don't have time. <laughs> I remember one morning shortly after I got saved, after I asked the Lord in my heart, I was outside watering, and all of a sudden, something came over me, and I started smiling. I started giggling. But this was different. It was all consuming. It was amazing. And what I was experiencing was joy, the joy of the Lord, something I had never, ever experienced. It was the Holy Spirit confirming that he was in me and all over me. <laughs> Anybody relate to that? Amen. Isaiah 1.18, come now. And let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be white as wool. I think another reason for the joy that I was experiencing was just knowing that I was new, that I was clean. You know, I, I had a spiritual mom, that she said to me one day, you know, Maria, 
God looks at you as a virgin. You are pure. I don't remember what that was like, but I knew that I was pure and clean in the sight of God, and that was through the Lord Jesus Christ. John 8, 36 says, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. And I am so thankful. I was a sinner saved by grace. I was forgiven and no longer bound by guilt or shame. Jesus took it to the cross. I was bound for death. But through his mercy and his love, I have life. A life worth living. And he is a miracle-working God. If you continue to go on in um, Isaiah 1, in the 19th verse, the Lord promises, if you are willing and obedient, there's a key, willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. And God is good. You know, shortly after that time, the Lord not only restored my children back to me, he restored my family back to me. He restored everything back to me. He restored my mind. I was able to go back to school. I was able to, you know, do a lot of things. The man that I talked about, the kind man, you know, that took me down to, to the pit, <laughs> um, he too is a miracle. We just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. Um, like I said, I've had jobs, I've had careers, you know, I retired, um, you know, things that were impossible, things that for a person that was headed straight for hell, the Lord completely turned it around. He is a good God. He keeps his promises. He knows the plans for me and the plans for all of you. And all we have to do is follow it. When the Lord moved us from San Diego to Coleman, Oklahoma, I didn't know why, I didn't know what for, but I said yes. And that's what we need to do. We need to say yes to the Lord. And also say, send me. Use me. I had to leave my family and friends my life, I spent 40 years there in Southern California, and I, I had to leave them, but this time for a greater cause. It wasn't because of what I left them for in the past. I have a purpose to my life. You know, I serve the one who will never scare me. He will never hurt me. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. I serve the one who loves me the most, my Lord and my King. As I said, I am alive in Christ. I am no longer shame-based. I am no longer afraid. And I can say that I'm a walking miracle. Because only he could take a horror story. I mean, it was bad. And some of you may be able to relate. But he made it into a love story. You know, and I, 
you know, I'm supposed to keep this brief. I don't know how much time I have left. But, you know, this was just kind of like the, the first layer. You know, there's a lot of details that I didn't leave, that I left out. There's a lot of um, scary stuff that um, I didn't share. But, you know, if any of you have questions, if any of you are struggling or know of anyone who is struggling with drugs, alcohol, shame, guilt, condemnation, or just need someone to talk to, I'm willing to share and to talk to you. You know, the, the music, again, was awesome tonight because everything was pointing and confirming to what he wanted spoken tonight. You know, this is my story. This is what the Lord did for me. You know, and I can't hold that back. You know, everybody in Southern California knew me and knew my testimony. They knew what the Lord did for Sister Maria. That's what they called me. <laughs> but when I came here, I've been kind of like in this weird <laughs> uh, existence, I guess. But, you know, the Lord gave me a testimony, and I'm done not sharing my testimony. So thank you, Paige, for listening to him. <laughs> Hi, my name is Shirley, for those of you who don't know me. <laughs> I look. Okay. As I read scripture, I like to make it personal. So I'm going to start there. Because I was asking the Lord, I said, how in the world do I tell the story of Shirley and her God? How do I begin to articulate everything that you are to me? And everything that you have done for me? And when Paige asked me to share, the first thing, because I paused for a minute, the first thing the Lord did was remind me that just a few months ago, he made a request at a uh, women's, or like at a, a worship night we were having. <coughs> and uh, as we were worshiping, I felt this word rise up inside of me, and I heard the Lord ask me, will you lay your life out like parchment and let me write my story? in the blood that I shed for you? And of course I said yes. <laughs> when the Lord asks you that, you do. Okay. So I said, well, where do we begin then? He said, well, let's start where you began. And I said, okay. And so he brought me to John. And he said in John, first, in John chapter 1, verse 3, it says, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the, dark sh and the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Do you see where I was born? Where you were born? Right there. Because all things were made through him. And without him was nothing made. I think when he says all, he meant me. All things were made. Because in the scripture, it also says that things were made in him, through him, and for him. And there's where I began. 
And I wish as a kid I had known that. Because when I came into this world where he had called me loved, where he had called me beloved, the first thing the world ever said to me was, you're a mistake. The world can be cruel when it should be kind because the God of the universe is beautifully kind. And if they know him, they would be like that too. And so when that's the first thing, before you ever even take your first breath, that is what you were called. You were a mistake to a marriage that was failing. Where a father already had seven kids, why would he want another to have to take care of? Within a year, my father left. By the time I was three, my mother no longer wanted me. They enjoyed their addiction more than they did their children. Because that was what uh, had already taken root in them. The enemy had already gotten into their home. And he was ruling and reigning like king. I am addiction and I am here and I own them. So they let us go. And in the process of my mother saying she did not want me, I know it was the love of my grandmother to make my father come back and get me and my two other brothers. Because when he'd left, he took my older sister with him. I was like, oh, so now I have the name of abandoned and rejected and a mistake. Those get to be on me now. Until I ended up in my grandmother's house where she showed me unconditional love. I didn't know that was possible, even in my little age, to go into a house and feel at peace. To know that there was something different about being here than anywhere I've ever been. And she told me about Jesus. And she told me about his love. And we would sing Jesus Loves Me and all the other songs that little kids in church get to sing about the God who adores them. And then my dad moves and takes us with him. And every year to two years, we kept moving. Because when you live a life of drugs, you don't stay very long in one place for many reasons. And with that, the feeding of the desires of the flesh, children get lost in the mix. You don't pay attention to what's happening to them. So by the time I was 12, <laughs> I came across my first pedophile. And I just wanted to go into the store and buy a piece of candy. My, I, my dad had given me money. My stepmom was okay with it. So I was walking down to the store. I thought, all right, this is what's going to happen. I get to get candy because I'm a kid, right? Candy's exciting. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> when you're a child, getting to get candy is exciting. And so as I do this, I go into the store, and I'm the only one in there. And the clerk tells me, he says, listen, you look like you have a really nice soft sweater on. Do you mind? if I touch your sweater? And I was like, that's weird. <laughs> but he said, but if you let me touch your sweater, you can just have the candy. You don't even have to pay for it. Then you can have money to come back again. And I was like, that seems like a good idea, okay. So I went to go pick out my candy and then he stands behind me and then I notice he's touching me in a weird way. <laughs> like, this is not right. Why is he standing behind me but touching the front of my sweater? That doesn't seem normal and my stomach starts feeling sick. So I'm like, you know what? I just grabbed the first thing I could grab and I ran out the door. And I was like, thanks for the candy. 
you know. I don't know what just happened, but thank you, because you're supposed to say thank you, right? And so I'm looking, and I know I'm mad now, because I'm like, dang it, that's not even the candy I liked. I just grabbed it in a hurry. Now I have a candy, and I don't know that I want to ever go back to that store again, because that was weird. But I can't tell anybody, because maybe I did something wrong. So I learned to keep my mouth shut. And then just months later, because it was fall, and then when spring came around, I was riding my bike in the neighborhood, and my chain come off. And the next guy, he was like, hey, I can help you put your chain back on your bike. And I still to this day remember he was wearing no shoes, baggy pants, he was real thin, had a white little tank top on. And he said, I can help you fix that. Awesome, someone's gonna help me, because I don't wanna get in trouble for breaking my bike, because my dad had a mean way about him. Because when drugs weren't on board, he could be really angry. And he could say really hateful, awful things. And so I was like, okay, so this guy's going to help me. So he fixes my bike. And he says, okay, now it's time to say thank you. Okay, well, I could say thank you. Oh, so, oh, but can you sit on my lap? I'm kind of tired. And, you know, and we'll uh, go in the house. And then you can just give me a hug and say thank you. Okay, I mean, I should say thank you, right? I mean, that's a polite thing to do. I'm only 12 years old. I don't know any better. Nobody's taught me anything. So I'm like, okay. So I go in the house and I sit there and I get up in his lap and it's summertime or close to summer and I'm uh, wearing my shorts and I realize I give him his hug and I say, thank you so much for fixing my bike. That was awesome. I'm so grateful. And he starts hugging me weird <laughs> and then starts rubbing his hand on my leg. And then I was like, Oh, terror rises up inside of me, and I bolt faster than he knows what can happen to a kid. And I went out that door so fast, grabbed my bike, and took off, and thinking, Lord, and I didn't say Lord, but I was like, man, he lives three houses down from mine. I'm going to have to try to stay away from him, because that was wrong. I don't know what that was, but I can't tell anybody, because maybe I did something wrong. So again, I kept my mouth shut. And the whole time, my home is chaos. Because where drugs reign, kindness does not. So anything and everything you can say to a woman to degrade them became my name. And I had to live in that. Knowing, oh, that's, I'm stupid, I'm worthless, I'm all of these things, I'm ignorant. And anything that you could call a woman <laughs> that is vulgar was my name. And it came from the people who should not be most and I could never do anything right. And they had no expectations on my life whatsoever, other, just, other than to just stay out of the way and don't cause problems. It's like, okay. So in that, we would move, like I said, every year to two years. So you don't make close connections. You don't bond with anybody. Nobody's going to know your story because by the time they could, you're gone again. So who's going to look out for the child who's always on the move? Nobody. And as this happens, we would go back and we'd visit my grandma. And I'm like, oh, this feels wonderful. This is grandma's house. This is peace. And she would take me to church. And I was like, wait, this feels like grandma's house. So maybe there's a correlation between grandma's house and this place. So I was like, okay. So I start when I get old enough to walk wherever, because my dad said he'd never take me to church, even though he was a pastor's child. He would never take me to church, but he said, I'll never stop you. You make your own decisions. I'm like, all right. So I would go. And wherever I was moved to, I'd find the closest church, whatever it was, and I would walk to it because I had to find where that presence was, where that security was. And I was like, okay, okay. But even as I continued on throughout my life, by the time I was 15, I came across another man 
who said he was 16, who ended up being 21. And I thought he was just another kid. And all my friends were having sex and everybody was fooling around. And that's just what you did. And nobody's parents cared because nobody was paying attention. And I was like, okay, might as well. Everybody else says, I'm going to go ahead. But he was a liar. He was 21. He was married. And he had two kids. And I was 15. Thinking I'm having a good time with a boy. And I've never done this before, so I don't know. And I was like, oh, very next day. Because the enemy likes to do that. Here, let me entice you, and then let me shame you. Look how stupid you are. Your parents were right. You're an idiot. Look what the situation you put yourself in. Are you real proud of yourself now? Because now you get to be a whore. Awesome. I'm like, oh, I am the things my parents say I am. I amount to nothing. I'm no good whatsoever. How could I have been so stupid? But I can't tell anybody because then I'm going to get in trouble. So again... I kept my mouth shut. And within just a few moments, or a few months, I'm like, somehow I think, this is in my kid brain, that I have opened a door for me to become now assaulted. Because I gave in this time. But then when my neighbor raped me, and then his brother came at me, who lived next door on the other side, and then the boy from church came after me, then I was like, I did this to myself because I sinned. So God must be punishing me, right? Because I did something so wrong. I'm so horrible. I'm no good. But what they didn't know was after all of these events and the way that nobody could beat me up like I did for the stupid mistakes that I made, there was a God who loved me. And even though throughout that time and having to deal with the trauma because PTSD developed, which I didn't understand, my nightmares started coming in. I had them for over 15 years. And you would think the worst thing to ever happen to you is to be assaulted. But I think the aftermath of the assault and what happens to your body can be worse. Because then you live it over and over again. You dream about it every night. You wake up to it every day. And it becomes this vicious, horrible cycle. And you hate yourself. And you think you deserve it. And I was like, yeah, this is torture. And then God brought my husband in at 16. And ironically, he was so different from anybody I've ever met. I was like, there's something wrong with you. Because this guy's not pawing at me. He's respectful. He's taking me out on dates and then just taking me home. We don't end up in any place that is dangerous or where I get to feel stupid about myself. And he's kind and he's compassionate and he likes me. Like, likes me, likes me. I'm like, what do I do with that? I was like, okay, maybe I should break up with him because this is too good to be true. This, there's no way that this can be true. This is going to fail and fall and I'm going to mess it up because my parents even said so. Oh, there she is. She's going to screw that up. If anybody ruins that, it's going to be her. And they knew it. But thankfully, my husband had other plans. And he's tenacious, and he's a stayer, and he's a man of commitment. Because he gave me his vow, and he asked me to marry him. And by 17, I was married. I was out of my parents' house. I was living in a stable environment. I was going to school. I was making grades. I realized maybe I'm not an idiot, because I actually can make A's. Who knew that was possible when you have a house that's stable? But see, I didn't have that commitment with God yet, though. I got saved at 12 when I went to one of those churches because I knew I had to have that because God saves, right? And those pedophiles were scary. And I need someone to save me from things like that, not knowing the worst things were coming. 
because I have an enemy who hates me, because I have an enemy who knows the call on my life, who wants to shut me up and shut me down. And I'm like, okay. But as I continue on and my symptoms to the trauma get worse, my husband doesn't know that now I want to die because of the torment every night and the torment every day. And he doesn't understand, and he doesn't know how to handle it, and he doesn't know what to do other than to just stay and love me. And I try to get him to leave me. I said, you need to go. <laughs> Everybody knows you could have done better than me, so I think that you should just do that. That way, if he leaves, then I can die. If I can get him to go off with somebody else and be happy and take care of our kid, then I can go and I can finally have some peace from all of this and just die. That's what I want. That's my desire. And he says, woman, when I told him he could go, feel free to leave me. Nobody would blame him. He said, woman, are you stupid? I'm not going anywhere. When I said my vows, I meant them. You're never getting rid of me. So I thought, okay. I'm going to have to get better. What does that look like? How do we do that? And then that's when I started seeking after God and really going after Jesus and saying, all right, I remember the peace of my grandma's house. You're going to have to do something if this is ever going to get fixed, if this is ever going to come together. I know I'm not worth your time. I know that. But we have, I have to find out about this guy in this book who says that he loves and he saves and he delivers and he frees people. I need to know that guy really know that guy. And then I had a moment when I was sitting there and I was like, I really, but Lord, I wish you would just kill me because then my husband would be free and he wouldn't have to suffer me anymore. My daughter could get a really good mom. That's what she deserves. And I was like, it'd be great if you could just kill me because look at all this baggage, all this trauma. And because of the things I went through, not just the PTSD, but then the sex addiction happened and the pornography problems happened and the food issues and all of the stupid things that were symptoms of the problem that I did to try to escape or handle or deal that were all so shameful. Really, you should just end it for me. Because in my head, I heard this voice say, because you're a coward, because you can't do it yourself. You scratch at your skin with that blade, but you're never serious. If you were really strong, you'd be able to do it. That's what the enemy says to us. He is vicious, and he is a bully. And I'm sorry for anyone who's ever had to hear him talk to you like that. Because I was like, oh, I am a coward. And then the moment happened, and I don't know. You're going to have to go with me. This is the experience I had. I don't know how many other people have had these moments with the Lord, but Jesus came right in front of me. And he looked at me and he said, can I have that right there? And I looked and I realized it was Jesus. And I said, you don't need to stand so close because I will taint you. I break things. I wreck things. I destroy things. You need to stay away. I don't deserve anything you have for me. Nothing. Please stay away. I can't take it. And he said, hmm, can I have that right there? Like I had said nothing to him. 
look, he didn't hear me. He doesn't understand. And I look down and I see I have this nameplate on me now. And it says worthless, good for nothing, waste of space. And he goes, I want that. Can I have that? And I'm like, why would you want this? It's distorted. It's broken. It's tainted. And it's connected to all of this garbage. And he's like, yeah, but I know what to do with that. Can I have that right there? And I was like, I don't know why you want it. But yes, you can have it. You can have my name. And then I took it off and I handed it to him. And he grabbed it like it was the most precious gift he had ever received in all of existence. And then he put it on himself. And it absorbed into him. And every bit of garbage that was connected by the chains entered into him and he took it all. And then he came to me closer and he took off his name, Jesus, the Christ, and he placed it around my neck and it absorbed into me and everything about the gross, disgusting garments that I was wearing changed into brilliant white, like the threads of the garment began to glow from the inside. And I was like, I don't know what just happened, but everything's just changed for me. <laughs> and I'm like, Lord, what did you just do? He said, I gave you everything that my name has, everything that is attached to my name, and it is going to change everything there is about you, and you're not going to have to live in there anymore, but it's going to take a little bit more work for you because I'm going to ask you to do things for me. I'm going to ask you to hand over all of those broken pieces that you have, all that woundedness inside. I'm going to ask you to go forth and go and get healing that I want for you. This is the first step on a journey that is good. It is going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it, and I'm going to be with you the whole time. And I said, okay. I don't want to wreck it. I don't want to break it, but I'm really scared. I'm going to mess this up, so I need you to think for me. I need you to give me your wisdom, because without it, I'm done for. Because I haven't had wisdom before, and it got me hurt, and I hurt other people, and I did stupid things, and I don't want to do stupid things anymore. I want to be free. I want to be happy. I want to have joy. I want to be who my husband needs me to be and who my kid needs me to be, and you're going to have to help me do that. And he says, I'm all in. I'm all in. I've been all in from the time that you were birthed inside of me, I'm all in. And I said, okay. And so here we are. And God has changed every day of my existence. And he continues to tell me that I'm his beloved, that I'm his joy, his delight, and he loves me, that I was adopted. I am not orphaned. I am not unwanted. All the stupid things the enemy has ever said to me, he said, oh, let me tell you the truth. Can I spend some time with you and tell you everything that is true about you? And I was like, yes. And he goes, and now, will you tell others? And I'm like, okay. We're doing something here. <laughs> I don't know what we're doing or why and how I'm going to do it, but I know I can't do it without you. So I'm going to have to hold on to you. You can never leave me. And he said, I said I never would. I never have. Every place you've ever been, I've always been with you. Let me show you. And then he showed me every single step. And I know what he has done for me. He will do for every single one of you. 
The enemy doesn't get to tell you who you are. Your friends don't get to tell you who you are. Your family doesn't get to tell you who you are. He does. And live from the place that is home. There is a reason Jesus says when he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, to abide in him. Because every time he said it, he said it seven times, for every day of the week, come home. Live in me. Abide in me. That's where you'll be safe. I'll take care of you if you let me. Thank you. My name is Veronica Tyson. I, uh, I know Shirley very well, so her story touches my heart. Um, we've actually served together quite a bit. Thank you, Lord. You're faithful. You're faithful. I titled this my story. And following that, I said, Holy Spirit, thank you that I'm not without you. This story is one that I realize I don't share very often, bits and pieces here and there, but because it's been too difficult. Um, but today, I have you to hold my hand. And the Holy Spirit is with me, and he has taken this story of brokenness and breathed his life on it and made it into a story of redemption. So I wrote mine down so I could not go over time. But I want to share with you how I found a cure for the mental illness in my mind. The trauma that haunted me daily. The brokenness that crippled me and left me full of fear and anxiety. A cure that set me free from 28 years of death and darkness. A cure that healed my heritage and changed the very course of history for me and my children. His name is Jesus. He carried that cross to Calvary for me. Even in all my filth, he wasn't afraid to come close to me. As he promised in the Gospels that he would send us the helper, Holy Spirit. I was born into a family of broken men and women, born into an alcoholic family, nine of us children total. We lived in many places run down with cockroaches and bugs and sores and head lice, um, even hospitalized for those things as children. There was a lot of physical and sexual abuse happening to us. My biological dad committed suicide when I was four. And my mom, my biological mom, she was lost without him. He was our provider that I'm aware of. He was, he was everything, even in all his brokenness. My biological mom gave me and my little sister and two of of my brothers up for adoption, and the others went to family and friends. Me and my siblings, uh, we didn't stand a chance. Many, um, I didn't know about one of them that was just given away to a friend. 
But I do know even as early as a year ago, he, he did take his own life. And so um, there's just a lot of brokenness. One of my sisters, she died as an infant. Um, and in the separation from everyone and everything I knew, I missed my grandpa the most. He was my best friend. He is the greatest memory I have of my childhood. They, um, my siblings say that I was his favorite. <laughs> and I, and I, I do proudly say that I was. He would take me to uh, Dairy Queen and get me ice cream. And then we would go to these big, tall steps and eat the ice cream together. Um, they were church steps. I just remember a big church and steps, and we would eat our ice cream together. I have one photo of him. Me and him were at a parade, and I was sitting on his lap, and, and he was brushing the hair out of my face. I had my hair in pigtails. But like I said, he's my greatest memory. Um, those short eight years of my life became a sinkhole of 20 more years that I could not seem to find the strength, strength to find my way out of. My little sister and I, we were adopted together after a couple of foster homes. We had good foster homes. I've had a lot of moms. <laughs> we had good moms. There was Mama Karen, and then there was Mama Edith. And Mama Edith couldn't keep us. Um, she had another little boy who was in, in her care, a foster boy. Uh, my brother, um, well, my foster brother. And she was adopting him. So that meant that she couldn't keep me and my little sister. But when you're a child... You're caught, and, you, and you, you're taken from everything you know, and you're put in a home where you know no one, and then it happens again. You're put in another home. You just seem to somehow adapt, but my biggest thing was to take care of my little sister, so, um, so I did, and, and we're really close to this day, but um, let's see here. So my little sister and I, we were adopted together um, by my mom and dad. Uh, my mom and dad are my adopted parents, but they are my parents. They are my mom and dad. Um, and so they found out after they adopted us that we had two other brothers in foster care, or two older brothers, so they ended up adopting all four of us. So we all four were adopted together. We, 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 they helped us become a family. Again, um, but the other siblings we, we didn't ever see again. And um, I put my parents through a lot because by the time you're eight years old and you've lived through abuse and trauma and all the things that come with broken women and men, um, I just put my family through a lot, <laughs> um, a lot more than they deserve. And, and they're really good people. They're good parents. Um, after several attempts of suicide to try and silence the voices in the mental, in a mental institution and putting my um, adopted parents through years of suffering, 
Also, my children having to see their mother that way. I think the hardest thing for me um, was walking out of the mental institution with no shoes on, in their clothes, and seeing my son in his little carrier, because that's how little he was, and seeing my daughter standing there. That was really hard. But the story gets better. <laughs> um, the voices were the main thing. The, the voices, I couldn't silence them, and I didn't know how to stop the voices. They just always were talking. And I was always in fear and always in anxiety. Not normally. I'm talking I could stand in front of people and be shaking or sitting in a room full of no one and fear cripple me. But um, after several attempts, like I said, of trying to silence the voices, um, I finally just gave up. I was uh, 28 years old when I gave up. Um, on May of 2012, I was born. I was born again. Adopted once more into a family. This time an eternal family. I was alone in my house. Uh, I, I lived in a low-income house. Um, and I had a little blue mattress that me and my kids slept on. And I had fold-out chairs for our furniture because I didn't have anything. And um, no furniture, no food. Um, but I did have all of these CDs and pamphlets and everything that my sister could give me about Jesus, even though I would constantly tell her not to share her God with me. She would still somehow leave her CDs in my house and her pamphlets and her books. And I'm like, would you please stop giving those to me? I never read them. And uh, there's this one time in particular where she was sharing about God with me on the way back from her home in Broken Arrow. And I wanted to believe. I, I, I gripped the steering wheel like this. And I just kept gripping it as hard as I could. And she kept talking about Jesus and her God. And I said, would you please stop talking about your God to me? And I'm sure I said a lot of cuss words in there. That was my language then. And I remember it was so cruel that she just began to cry. Tears falling down her face, weeping. Because I had been so cruel to her. But what she didn't know is that inside me, I felt something when she talked about Jesus and her God. And I gripped the steering wheel, and I was so angry, and I said, no, no, I'll never believe in who you serve, ever. It was very dark. I knew the demonic realm, though I wasn't, uh, I didn't practice anything to do with darkness, but I knew that realm much greater than I knew anything else. Um, and I was alone in my house, and I was sitting on this blue mattress, and I, and I just picked up one of those pamphlets and read it like a book. It was very short. The very back of it, it said, like, salvation prayer or uh, sinner's prayer or something like that in the very back of it. And I read it like a story. <laughs> I didn't read it like a prayer. 
and I threw it across the room. I just chunked it across the room. I'm like, I can't believe she believes in this. But I, uh, I got up off the mat because something in me was happening. And I got down on my knees and I stretched out my arms. Nobody taught me that. Nobody ever taught me any of that, but I knew I had to get low. And I knew I had to stretch out my arms in surrender. And I said, Jesus, if you're real, you have to show me now. Because if you're not, I am not doing this anymore. And it was going to be the final time. Like I tried several times to take my life and I failed. Ended up in the hospital pumping your stomach. You know, all the things. Mental institution. It's just all the things. And I was like, I'm done. And I remember I got up off my knees after I prayed that prayer. Or said, I didn't really pray a prayer. I just said that to him. And I got up. And for the first time in my life, I took a breath. And it didn't feel like it was heavy. I just could breathe. And I'm like, what is this? I can breathe. And it was, it, all of the heaviness was gone. I'm like, I'm waiting for it because I knew it so well. And, and, and it would be a process of healing and inner healing that the Holy Spirit would walk with me and he would teach me how to um, silence the voices with his word. He taught me authority because it wasn't just the voices. It was the lights that flickered. It was the things that moved. It was the constant torment around me. And if you were around me, it wasn't good because you would see it. Um, I read that part. Wow, I'm further than I thought. Okay, so now I'm 11 years old in the Lord. It doesn't matter about age, but I like, I like to say I'm 11 years old. <laughs> because that's when I started to live. Thank you, Lord. He restored my hope in humanity. He taught me how to forgive those who hurt me. He didn't let me mask any of the pain, but he helped me hold. He helped me by holding my hand. And if salvation was for me, then it is for all. All who believe in their hearts and confess with their mouth that Jesus is the Son of God. He has taken the most we me and him, me and Jesus. I call him Papa. We have taken the most incredible adventures together. He raised me up under a great teacher, a great family. He sent me to Bible college, allowed me to travel to L.A. and to Africa. He has blessed me with a godly husband who is a preacher of God's word. He preaches in the jail every week. And he has restored our family. He has given us his ministry to preach and share in the very place I met him in. 
in the, in the low-income housing where I was born again in number 60, and I say that because that's where it's at, <laughs> number 60 over there, um, he, uh, he sent us back there. That's where we share the gospel every week. And we are seeing souls saved. We have seen um, alcohol, women delivered from alcohol. One came up to me just recently and said, I'm two months sober only because of Jesus, only because of him. We are seeing young people saved, born again. And we're, we're thankful that Jesus is letting us disciple them. That is important. Um, he restored me from the inside out, and now I know why. Because the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. And recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. And I just, um, just want to close with... Um, yeah, I shared that already. See, I get ahead of myself. We are. I say we boast only in Christ, and we preach the cross, that souls be saved, healed, and delivered. I had a dream recently. This was just a few days ago. Um, well, I had a dream a, a while back. The Lord speaks to me in dreams. And he said to me, um, there's healing in the 11th hour. That was three years ago. But it shook me to my core, even though I didn't understand it. And then I began to process that with the Lord. And I realized, like me, I'm late to everything. So I'm like, when it comes to the Lord, because he's the beginning and he's the end. But I'm, I'm always late. And I'm like, oh, we must be in the 11th hour. <laughs> okay, we're the 11th hour church. Like, I'm just late to it. Thank you, Lord. You know, Holy Spirit, he helps me. He catches me up. But that's why it burns in our hearts. Because if Jesus would come and save someone like me, as messed up as I was, I mean, many of us, then he will save the hardest of the hard. He will. He will. He, he has. His blood is enough. His blood is the cure. I heard my husband preach that the other day. He said, the blood of Jesus is the cure. And I thought, yes. Yes, it is. Um, and then he spoke to me the other night in a dream. And he said, didn't I tell you there's healing in the suffering? And it shook me to my core. I said, what does that mean? I don't understand. Healing in the suffering. Jesus, who bore the cross, he took our suffering. It is the cross. I thought, wow, thank you, Lord. Ah, in that dream, there was a woman healed of breast cancer or a tumor in her breast. So the Lord, if it is something, and you're a woman and you're dealing with a, a lump in your breast, the Lord is healer and he is here to heal. And then I wanted to share how recently the enemy came to me and said, I'm going to kill you. And I was just sitting up in my bed, and he said, I'm going to kill you. And I said, for a minute, I was like, oh, wow, what was that? And then I, then I knew it was him. And I, and I was like, wait, why, what? And then uh, 
just for a moment I began to think about what he said, and then I thought, wait a minute. You don't have the power to kill me. You don't have the power to kill me. And, um, but, but what he was talking about is he had, I had had um, some liver issues. They thought I was in the last stage of liver failure. Uh, so for the last three or four months, uh, I've been going back and forth to the doctor. The first two tests that I took pretty much confirmed that I had um, either cirrhosis of the liver or stage four liver failure. And um, I continued on, and I was in a worship night. Um, we're just always worshiping the Lord. And I saw Jesus come to me, and he handed me a brand new liver. And I was like, well, that's mine. I'm taking that. And, and, I, and, of course, I said, thank you for that. I knew it was that. So ever since then, I would go back to the doctor, and I would say, no, that's not right. That's not right. They did a liver biopsy, sent it to the best specialist in, in the United States. He told me that himself. Because they kept trying to redo my test after that because they couldn't believe it. So I left there at doctor's office, and they said, you can either, we can either put you on medication in case you know, we're wrong, or you can just leave here without anything. And I'm thinking, I'm going to leave here without anything. <laughs> but he can, he can heal your liver, is my point. If he healed my liver, he will heal your liver. He, he will heal the, heal the lump or the tumor that doesn't belong in your body. And, and I just, I'm just so thankful for Jesus. That's just a few, few things, but... Um, I do want to say this. If we don't love, we are nothing. These are things he taught me. His word is to be feared. His presence is holy. The glory is his. One encounter with Jesus and everything changes. Forgive quickly. Offense is a tool used by the enemy. It's actually a disease. Pray. Talk to him daily. Keep running forward. Stay low. Humble. Never look back. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Preach the gospel. Remember that accepting Jesus is a relationship, not works. And make disciples. Oh, and if you would like me to pray with you, I will. I have been asking the Lord all day, well, since Paige asked me, um, what, what, it, what it was he wanting what did he want from me? And, um, and, I, and I, I never came up with anything. And so on the way tonight, I was thinking about, you know, thinking back on my life, like, oh, what is, what is there a reoccurring theme? What, is, what, does he want, what does he want you to hear tonight? So I'm going to tell on Paige and I for a minute. <laughs> I, um, I have known Paige for a really long time. Since, uh, let's see, so she was a freshman, I think, in high school. And um, there are lots of things that she's said um, along the years that have resonated with me, but there's something that she said recently that made me realize something specifically special to our relationship. And um, I believe it's when you spoke at Warrior Conference about truth, recognizing truth, that that there's something we see the God in others. And so I look back on my life, 
And she's a reoccurring theme. And she was faithful to continue to step into my life in seasons that she didn't know that she was being a light. But I saw the God in her. And it called me to something more. And every time I, I, I did her hair in my apartment <laughs> when I was in hair school, why on earth you drove to Oklahoma City for that? I have no idea. But God just continued to put her in, in front of me. And she continued to bear witness. So I say all that to say this. Um, my, I, I love journals, and I, I have one everywhere. There's, and they've all got about half written in them. And so my, um, my son was carrying this around the other day, and I thought, wow, I had no idea where I'd put that. And, um, and so now after listening tonight, I, I know why. This journal, this journal started... Um, probably, what did you say, 2018? When, when did we do that? 2018, 2019? It is full, not full, half full. Because <laughs> I found a newer, prettier one I wanted. <laughs> of, of answered prayers. Of prayers for other women. For people I didn't even know. And so today... The Lord said to me, remember. And I'm like, I'm trying. <laughs> but what, what he brought to me about Paige was that um, there's women in your life that the Lord's putting in front of you. And they're praying for you. And they're taking you to the feet of Jesus when you can't take yourself. And maybe you'd never even admit it. But he will continue to chase you. And if you won't listen to him, he'll send someone else. So, today, I can tell you that she put me in front of Jesus so many times that I can hear him for myself. Because when I couldn't manage, he sent her. And she said yes. And so because of that, we go on many adventures with the Lord. Because I would follow her to the ends of the earth because I see the truth in her. And there are people out there who see it in you. And so be faithful to step out to tell that painful story because someone out there sees the God in you. And that may be the only reason they're still here. And so as I was sitting back there earlier, I told Jesse, I was like, I'm not even supposed to testify. And look at me, I'm up here crying. <laughs> it's like, this isn't even about me. But it's not. It's about the women that God brought alongside me who took me, took me to the feet of Jesus when I couldn't get there, who still do. And, um, and I've, I've, I kept t telling the Lord, like, I've walked through some really hard seasons. I mean, is that what you want me to talk about? But it's, it's not that. 
It's not that. It's, you have it here. That's what entourage is. That's, that's what we do for each other. There's, there's very few places in the world where women are warring for each other. They're more likely warring against each other. But in this house, we war for you. And so, in that community, I just think there's just something beautiful about being right here. And so, anyways, he um, pointed me to this verse, and I'm squatting down because my back is killing me. <laughs> but um, it says, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. Let whoever wants to save his life, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. And I think that's where we all are. We can step forward with open hands and say, give me more. And if that's where you are, you're in a place where you want more. You know there's more. But you don't know what it is. Let one of your sisters take you to the feet of Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Entourage Ministries, visit our website at entourageministries.com or visit us on Facebook or Instagram. 